Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, Vineyard. Good to see everybody. Uh, great to be back. Thank you, John Dorman, and thank you, Roy King, for uh, taking care of the preaching duties over the last two weeks while we were able to slip away for a week and grab some good waves. And uh, it was fun. Yep. And it's good to be back. If this is your first Sunday with us, my name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and so glad you joined us on this last Sunday of our marriage series. We've been in it for seven weeks now. We could probably go on another 70 weeks talking about marriage, right? But that's why the group that's forming is so that uh, we can continue on in the work that those of us who are married are trying to get better at it and give you another resource to be able to be a part of and kind of a small, large group to be a part of in it. And, uh, you know, Lent, what, the Lenten season started Wednesday, right? Are, Are any of you fasting anything through the... Our church doesn't fast through the lens. Well, I, I'm going to recommend, you're only a few days behind, I'm going to recommend you fast country music during the... Uh, I know it's going to be hard, and it's really hard for me. It's the one I choose every year, and uh, the fast. Um, no. I can't leave this subject of marriage without talking about divorce. Uh, it's a subject that many in this room and probably most of our families in some ways have been touched by. Uh, it's a subject that I don't like to talk about. Uh, but the, the scripture is not silent on it and how Jesus dealt with this. And, you know, this isn't the first season for... Uh, us, and I say culturally wise, to be struggling with marriage and divorce. I mean, back in 1865, between 1865 and 1890, the divorce rate doubled in America. That was a long time ago, right? I mean, it was, the rate was, of course, smaller than it is now, but it was one out of 20, and then suddenly it jumped to one out of every 10 marriages uh, during that period of time. And America was not lost. I mean, our leaders were not lost on how this fragments some ways and, and causes pain throughout the country. And so various states began to pass restrict, restrictive laws on divorce. Over 100 laws were passed during that period of time to try to help stop this flood of divorces. And if, you're, if you grew up in the church, I, we have such a vast array of people from different uh, traditions, religious traditions in our church, Catholic and Pentecostal and Baptist and Methodist, Episcopalian, you name it, we've got, we've, we're a hodgepodge of uh, kind of a calico cat of sorts, you know, or a mutt. And uh, if you're a dog person, I shouldn't have said cat. Um, and so uh, we, we all have our different various experiences and and so in church, we've probably been taught some of us came out of a very restrictive situation and some of us came out of where it was never talked about. And so I think it's incumbent. We really have to, we have to talk about this and see, kind of get a view, try to get a view of exactly what's on God's mind and on his heart when it comes to the fracturing 
and of our marriages and our relationships and, and the way that they go. Now, you know, as we approach this, it's really important because your perspective will taint. And we've said this a lot in this church, but your perspective taints everything you see and all the information you bring in. Your experience, all of it is a part of the screen that we take information in. And so some of us, the minute I mentioned the word divorce, cringe. Some of us go, yeah, whatever. But depending on your relationships in the past and how you were raised and your experience, we all... And we have the same thing with God. You know, we, we either see God as this wonderful, amazing creator who gave us life and is trying to bring us back to the way life should be. And it's a struggle now, but we know that one day his kingdom will come in fullness and everything will be as it should be. We know that's going to happen. But now eternity, for those of us who are Christians, it begins the day you say yes to Jesus. The day you say yes to him, your new life begins. It's not wait. No, now your new life begins. God begins to work in you. He begins to talk to you. He begins to filter out some of the noise of life. And he starts to what the Bible calls sanctification and, and set you apart in certain ways from the thinking that maybe you had at one time. And, and so if we see God as a beautiful, loving father creator who sent his only son for us and that his sole intent for us is good, then we can read some difficult scriptures and we can process them a lot better. But if we believe that God is like a party pooper and he is out to squash every bit of the living joy out of my life, then no matter what you read, no matter how good it is, you won't be able to process it and enjoy it. And so, you know, my prayer through this week as I prepared for this was, Lord, would you just clean up the lens of which we see you? Because that's more important than anything is that we see who he is and that he wants the best. That his kingdom is a good kingdom. That he is a good king. And it is indeed a gospel. That is good news for all of us. Now, however you approach, whatever your, your practice is with God and how you see God means a lot to how you process what he says. And so, um, you know, if we think God's mean and he's out to, you know, rain on our parade, as they used to say, then we'll process every challenging word that way. And uh, so I pray, you know, my prayer is, and we're going to pray in just a moment, but my prayer is that we begin to see the goodness of God. The goodness of God in everything that he has given us in his word, in spirit, and in his body, in his church body. Um, according to Bradley Wright, who is a statistician and he did some statistics on Christians and all, and his, according to his stats, 50% of the populace are getting divorced, but only 42% of Christians are getting divorced. So we, we do have a little better track record. Not much, but a little better, you know. But get this, 60% of never attendees, that's the people who never go to church, have divorced, 60%. 38%, only 38% of those who go to church weekly have divorced. And I was just yesterday reading my news feed when I was having my coffee and read that Christians are by far healthier as well, healthier than atheists, healthier than those that uh, don't know God, that uh, you know, 20% of atheists smoke, only 10% of Christians smoke. 
we eat better, we sleep better, Christians do. And so going to church is good for you. <laughs> it's good for you, it's good for your marriage, good for your relationships. And uh, so it's not like it's not working. It is working in us, you know, that the gathered body coming together and being encouraged is working. And um, but indeed, we do have a challenge because, again, just like in the 1800s, divorce has doubled since 1970 to the year 2000 again. And so there is there is a challenge. And as we get into this and we read from Matthew 19 this morning, I pray now, Lord, that. Father, your good, good kingdom, your great and wonderful love would permeate every heart here today. But Lord, each of us would have a new glimpse of what a good father you are. And that you have a good life for us. And that one day it is going to be here in fullness. One day that good life is going to fill this earth, Lord, and fill us as we see your kingdom as it should be. And in the meantime, though, Lord, we are to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And part of your kingdom is our relationships, Lord, friendships, marriages, all of this. Part of your kingdom coming, Lord, is to come and bring life in those areas as well. And we know one day it'll all be straightened out. And we pray now, though, Lord, we get a taste of that kingdom even now in our own lives here on the earth. So, Lord, help me over the next few minutes. Uh, Lord, I pray for your gift of teaching. I pray you'd help me in my weakness. You would open up your scripture to us. Help us to understand, Jesus, what you said. And to put it in a life-giving place in our hearts and in our lives. So that it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's read this text. Matthew 19. Flip your hand out over. There is a fill-in on the back side. If you want to follow along, the scripture is there as well. Uh, Matthew 19, 3 through 9, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command a man, give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Lord, bless the reading of your word and help us, Jesus. Amen. It's all right to laugh at that. Uh, I'm not going to have time to go over 1 Corinthians 7, which is another passage you should read. You should read that whole chapter when it comes to this issue. I will make some reference to it. And also in Matthew 5 and 31 through 32 in the a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has these basically same words there in the midst of his sermon when he goes through that. So it's kind of duplicated there. This passage of Scripture uh, is written by Matthew or Levi. He is the guy who was... Uh, the tax collector, the guy that wrote this gospel, the tax collector who had his booth set up and was ripping off his fellow Jewish people by being in cahoots with the Romans, charging exorbitant taxes to travel on the roads, to cross the bridges. And so uh, this is the guy that Jesus walked up to when he was in his tax booth and he said, hey, follow me. And Matthew, Levi, left what he was doing 
and followed him. But he did something when he left. Do, do you guys remember what he did? He threw a party, right? He threw a big party with his rowdy friends. He called all the tax collector guys that he knew, all the sinners, and he says, hey, we're going to have a party. You know, and he, it, Come on to my house so they could meet Jesus, this man that had changed his life. This is the guy writing this. This is probably written near the end of the first century. And it's to an audience that's facing Roman persecution within a pagan world. It's good to consider what the, who the people are and what they're going through when they hear these words. Um, this crowd that's gathered, as it says in the beginning of this chapter, there's a crowd moving with him. He's changed his direction and now he's headed. He's beginning to head toward Easter. He's beginning to head toward Jerusalem at this point. But this crowd that's with him is not going to be with him very long. Because they were looking for a king. They were looking for a savior that would come, kick the Romans out, and set up a different government. And once they found out this was not a, quote, political kingdom that was coming or a militaristic kingdom that was coming, the crowds bailed on him, left him, and then eventually crucified him. And so we're at that hinge point as we head toward Easter, most awesome time of the year. Biggest celebration of all. This is where Jesus is shifting. And pretty soon, on that first Sunday in April, in that first century, he is going to go to the cross for us. And then his resurrection will come and nail our salvation down and prove that he is the Son of God, the Lord of lords and of all. Now, the Pharisees ask him this, and, and they go all the way back to Moses and they quote Deuteronomy 24, 1, where it says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to, to... Notice these words, displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. In other words, Moses said we could just write a certificate. Now, there's a lot more going on in this conversation than what you'll, you realize because there's two rabbis that are speaking to this situation at this time. There are two schools of thought. One is a very conservative, it's Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai said that that word indecent meant adultery, it meant uh, unchastity, and he was a very strict literalist when it came to this. And that rabbi, that school of thinking was, no, you could not divorce or put your mate away. And Israel allowed for male or female to divorce, uh, put them, so did the Romans, and so put them away. Uh, it was a strict literal interpretation of it. But there was another rabbi, Rabbi Hillel. Now, Rabbi Hillel took those words indecent and all and said, oh, it's got to mean a whole lot more. Like if she burns the evening meal and I don't like her cooking anymore. If I find anything, this is the way it was. If you were a part of that, Rabbi Hillel's, uh, the rabbi, if you were a part of that, the man could kick you out at any moment, at any time. If he found a blemish that he didn't notice when he first married you. I didn't know you had that. You're out. You had to get out right then, immediately. And so this is the Pharisees are coming from this, this Rabbi Hillel's point of view. They are trying to trick Jesus, but they're coming from that. And Jesus is having no part of it. You know, he keeps going back to the beginning because this is what happens in the kingdom. Because when the kingdom comes, it brings us back to the purity and the beginning of what God always wanted. And so Jesus goes right back. It wasn't this way in the beginning. It wasn't this way in the beginning. 
But because of hard-heartedness, Moses allowed you to write a certificate of divorce. Now, that opens up a lot of things when you realize there are two thoughts going on here. And Jesus is saying, no, the Shammai, Rabbi Shammai, he's the one that you should be reading, not Rabbi Hillel. This is going on in this conversation. And Israel, if you were married, uh, there were things that you were committed to the other spouse for. It was you were committed, this comes out of Deuteronomy as well, for food, clothing, conjugal love, and to abstain from adultery. So you had to be taken care of, there was food, and you had to be loved. Some way, the other mate has to realize you love them and you care for them. And that's not just sexual love because that changes through the ages what, what uh, communicates love to us. And so it meant that in the marriage, to do what you're called to do, you should, you should be able to feed, you know, care for one another. You should be able to clothe one another. You should be able to give affection in some way so that that other person knows you love them. To be able to do that. And you should keep yourself pure for that person. Now if any of those were broken. Then they would, they would jump on it for a divorce. And um, divorces were very easy. Even during this period of time. Uh, Pastor Rich Nathan tells a story of a, uh, a Muslim man. This happened not that long ago. I think a Muslim man who, who actually divorced his wife with text. And uh, he has to say it three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And so he texted to her, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. She had to get out. Out. And that's in present day. And so that same thinking was around during this period of time. And so these Pharisees are trying to trick him up and push him into a corner. And this hard-heartedness is the part that Moses made, uh, you know, said you can, yes, you can grant a certificate of divorce. Hard-heartedness is when one of the spouses begins to refuse to take care of the other one. Their heart has grown cold. They're not repentant. They're not humble. Um, they don't serve anymore and care anymore. And so Moses is saying, for that part of being hard-hearted, he allowed for you to divorce. Now, Paul adds to that in 1 Corinthians 7, abandonment. And that is if somebody walks off from the marriage, walks away from it, then the other one is free to marry. And so let me, I've got a fill in here for you. And uh, again, these cookies are on the low shelf, okay? So to help us. And your first one is this. Divorce is painful. Divorce is painful. Let's just get it. Straight up now. Malachi 2.16 has an interesting verse. It says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. It does violence to the children. I mean, I read reports from secular studies. I read reports from religious studies. I read reports to try to get a balanced view on what goes on with children through divorce. There was not a single report that didn't say kids had to deal with some really tough issues in a divorce. And again, I'm not here to heap in any way any more pain or any more regret in anyone's life because the Lord is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of forgiveness and restoration. Most of us in here 
know what it's like to have had someone in your family and then suddenly they're not in your family anymore. Maybe it's a daughter-in-law that you had as a part of your family and you love them and you, you believe they were like your own daughter. And then all of a sudden they're out of your life. And a part of your heart is cut and you're trying to grieve through that and you're trying to heal through that. It's painful. It's painful. Finances. One of the quickest ways to go broke is to get a divorce. I mean, it's, it, there's pain in every way. Church life. All of a sudden, two people who are in church worshiping together suddenly go, we're not together anymore and I want this church. No, I want this church. <laughs> I want this church. And I'm like, we got two services you come to that one you come to that one you know but don't stop coming don't stop coming to church come to church and let the presence of the lord come to you and minister to you and work with you come and i'll say this church we should come alongside both parties in a divorce we should not shun the one and then grab hold of the other the church is the church of reconciliation, the church of healing, and the church of love. It doesn't mean you condone somebody's behavior because you love them. You love them because you love them, right? And so we come alongside either side. The church should just swarm around people going through trouble like that. We should not bail out, pull back, and go, well, they're wrong, and let's just let's punish them for that. No, that's not helping anything. Rush around them, be there with them. Love on them. Pray for them. Be there. Both parties. It's painful. It's very painful. And it hurts to lose people in your family that one time you had and you held close and, and suddenly they're gone. They're just not there. It's a death. It's a death. And we have to own that. You know, we have to say, man, this is very painful, God. This hurts. And I'll tell you, this is your second fill-in. You may not even know this. Did you know God has experienced divorce? I bet you didn't know that, did you? Did you know that? God is a divorcee. In Jeremiah 3, 6 through 8, he says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. God knows what it feels like to go through divorce. He loved Israel. He cared. He gave clothes. He gave food. He gave shelter. He protected from the enemies. He did everything a good spouse should do. And Israel turned her back on God. And God went through it and went through it. And to the point that he says, I'm done. I divorce. I write a certificate of divorce. I'm letting you go. And of course, what happens is Israel goes into you know, it goes into exile, it goes out, and it, it realizes that the best thing that ever happened to them was being God's people. And so they come back. So don't, you know, in your troubles and in our pain dealing with divorce, don't ever think God doesn't know what I'm feeling. Because he does know. Israel, were his, they were his people. He loved them. That's who the Messiah would come through. And yet he got to the place where he said, nope. Here's a certificate of divorce. He did take them back. Like he takes us back. And he will. But God knows. God knows what it's like to be the offended one. In a relationship. 
And I want to say this too. The divorce is not what is evil. What is evil is the breaking of the vows. The one who is offending in the relationship. It's not the divorce that is a sin. It's the breaking of the vows to God and to one another. That's the sin. Because we think divorce is a sin. I have to repent from divorce. No, divorce is is a reaction to a sin. The sin of not caring for the other person the way that we're called to care for. So that's the sin to repent of whoever is offended. You know, the one that's offending needs to repent from that. Many times it's the one that has done everything they can do and they can't do anymore. And they realize this is over and they reap all of the scorn and all of the judgment. And then they feel guilty for the divorce when it wasn't them that caused it. It was the one that was offending that caused it. The offense is in the sin of not caring for one another and standing true to the vows you take before God and before your spouse. That is the sin. So divorce has been experienced by God. So you can talk to him. You're going through something like this. You can talk to him. Say, how did you do it, Lord? How did you do this? How did you live through this? How did you move and keep moving through history and even go to the point of Christ coming and him giving his life, you sending your only son? How did you do that? How are you so faithful, Lord? Can I have some of that grace? Can you give me some of that grace, Lord? Can you give me some of that forgiveness so I can forgive others? Help me, Lord. Your third feeling is this. Divorce shouldn't happen for just, quote, any cause. That was the debate that Jesus was caught up in for just any cause. That was the two schools of thought. And Shammai was like, you know, one way, Hillel was the other. And so Jesus basically said, no, you cannot and you should not divorce for anything. There was an any cause clause in that part of Israel during that period of time, like I said in the beginning. And... Uh, and so that any cause clause Jesus spoke to, because that's what the Pharisees were trying to trip him up on, was that can we divorce for any reason at all? And Jesus said, no. And they said, well, Moses did. Yeah, that's because you're hard-hearted. That's because you're so hard-hearted he had to give a way out and all. Matthew 19.3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus goes back to the beginning, back to Genesis. Man and a woman, right? Man shall leave his mother, right? Woman leave her home, same thing. Goes back to it twice, back to it twice. It's like this is not God's original intention. God's original intention was here in Genesis. And we're headed back there again. Headed back to where we should be. Now, hard-heartedness and all, I want to say this up front. I have no tolerance for abuse in marriages. None. None. I know God forgives and all, but if someone comes to me and says, I'm being abused, I'm like, get a policeman, get them arrested, and get out of the marriage. I'll tell you up front, that's my, that's my position. That is about as hard-hearted as you can get when that happens. And it's not that you can't, if, if you do that, it's not that you can't be forgiven, but you should not be in that marriage if there is abuse and there is danger in it. God does not expect you to stay in there. He does not expect you to submit yourself to that over and over again, physical abuse. And, and so some churches teach you stick, you stick it out, you stick it out, you stick it out, you stick it out. I tell you right now, and 
I don't believe that. And I have walked with people through these kinds of things. And I have seen the fallout from this kind of thing. And that is no glory to God. Staying in something like that. Hard-heartedness is being unrepentant. Jesus says it was because you were unrepentant, because you resisted the will of God for marriage. It's because you can't extend forgiveness, because you can't receive forgiveness. It's because you ran around. It's because you abandoned your mate. Jesus doesn't require divorce, but he allows it. I mean, he's a God of reconciliation. And... These passages of Scripture in 1 Corinthians and and also in Matthew were written in a time when people were not single during this period of time. I mean, I thought about this last night. It's pretty interesting that we get these Scriptures from a single 31, 32-year-old man, Jesus, and from a former rabbi, Paul, who probably was married at some point, but his wife probably died because rabbis were all married. That was a part of what they did. And so probably he was, but he was single at the time that he wrote the scripture that we have our messages and our instruction on this from two single people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think that's, I think it's awesome. I think it's like God said, hey, you better not shut your ears to anybody. All right. That's why we had the singles in our church pray for us when we first started this series. We had them lay hands on us and pray for all the marriages in this church. Because we're all in this together. Jesus meant to shock his listeners. Trying to get them to look back to God's original plan. And he meant that uh, a person shouldn't be punished. As though they lived in perpetual sin. This passage in Matthew 5 where he talks about that. That's written in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? What else is in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount? If your right hand offends you, what? Well, I see all of you got your hands this morning. Uh, if your eye, what? Pluck it out while well, you guys are looking. I think you can see pretty good. Some of you probably think, wishing I couldn't see. But, you know, it's like, I can see. Jesus, if you had lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. That's not true. But you see where Jesus is? is pointing to he's he is pointing to the kingdom beyond here this is how living in god's kingdom in a perfect place in a perfect way would be none of that would happen none of that would happen there would be no offense with the hand there would be no looking with the eye but he certainly didn't he was using preacher rhetoric some of us preachers we like to exaggerate to make a point it's kind of like evangelistically speaking and we just stretch it a little bit jesus did that Jesus did it. Jesus said things that were like, wow, what did he mean by that? To grab your attention and to shock you and to hold you in place so that you can hear something. And this is written, this about divorce and, and the marriage and other causes her to be in adultery. is written in that same line of thought with the plucking of the eye, the cutting of the hand. All of that is right in there. It was meant to shock And it doesn't mean that a person lives in perpetual sin if they remarry. And um, like if you call somebody a fool, you ever done that? You did driving here. I know you did. And and if you didn't, you will on the way home. You know, in this same section of scripture, 
that says if you call somebody a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. That's what it says, right? Well, there's a bunch of us in danger of hellfire then, right? That's right. Do you get this? I'm, not try, I'm trying to put it in the context so you can see Jesus is shaking people up. He's shaking them up. He's trying to get their attention. And, uh, you know, the bottom line for all of this is that we need to quit divorcing for just any reason. For just any reason at all. I wake up one morning and, well, oh, you don't look like you did when you were 23. And, uh, you know, she or he could say the same. And, uh, you know, it's you, you pound it out and you work it out. And you learn to love at different levels as you go through life. And you stay committed to it. You do all you can to reconcile. If a parting is coming, you make sure as a Christian you've done everything you can do to reconcile. Everything. If you've done everything you can do, that, then you've done everything you can do. And it will hurt still. But you should not carry with you the guilt of I have sinned against God. And from now on, whatever relationship I get into, when I leave from here, I will be living in perpetual sin. That is not what he intended for us to live like. If you read First Corinthians passage with uh, Paul writing about divorce, he says he has called us to peace. Right? Peace. And so that's what he wants for us. Boy, I'm running along on this subject. Um, let me finish this up with these three suggestions for as we process. And I think all three of these can be applied to whether you're about to get married or thinking about getting married or you're thinking about getting divorced. I think all three of these can apply. The first one is this. Listen to wise counsel. Get some wise counsel. Proverbs twelve fifteen. the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Get some wise, informed counsel. Maybe get some professional counseling. I, you know, every relationship deserves to get some counseling, some outside help. That's why we're forming this group, so we can get some help from one another. There are good counselors in our area, marriage counselors, who would love to help. And we can help get you there. You can talk to Pastor Skip about this or Pastor Jay, either one. Get some spiritual counseling with some friends. To, to go through these verses so that you know your conscience is clean before the Lord. And don't get you know, pulled this way and that way. Find out what says the Lord. Talk to your friends and talk to your family. Get some wise counsel. And B is basically the same thing on purpose. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And I'll say this. Get some, do you have friends that will tell you the truth no matter what? I mean, you know, some of us, we love each other so much that when we go through a tough time, we're with them no matter what. I think everybody deserves a friend like that. Everybody deserves a friend that will come alongside you and love you and support you no matter how screwed up you are. Everybody deserves somebody like that. Somebody that says, you're right, I love you. You're right, I'd do the same thing. I would. But you know what else you deserve? You deserve some friends that will look at you and go, are you sure about this? You sure about this? You need both in your life. You need support that says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And you need support that says, I'm with you, but have you thought about this? Do you have someone that you know will tell you the truth and love? Instead of building an entourage of people around you that go, that's right, girl. That's right, guy. Do it. Do it. You know, 
leave them, whatever. Don't work on it. Man, they've blown it. But, you know, do you have people around you that kind of work through a with Have you done everything you can do? Have you? Have you done that? If you have, then I'm with you. I'm with you on this. The last one there is go slow. This is not talking about abuse, okay? I'm talking about you're in a relationship. It's parting. Or maybe you're getting ready to get married. Go slow. Get, get to know somebody, you know. Get to know their family. I've told you this about marriage before. You don't marry the person. You marry the family. You think, well, they don't even go to see their family. Believe me, the family is there. It's right there in that person. It is like, oh my gosh, my house is full of people and it's just the two of you. They're there. Get to know the family. Get to know one another, the friends. Take some time. Take some time. Proverbs 19.2, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Miss the way. I want to end with this. We're going to have prayer and... uh, this came out of a book that I'm going to, if you want to look more into what I was talking about this morning, you're like, I like to do my own Bible studies. I've read a bunch of books on this, but this book, I think, can we throw a picture of this up? It, it should be there in the file. This is a book, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by David N. Stone Brewer. This is the best and the most detailed book on divorce and remarriage of any I've read, and I've read a lot of them. And uh, he does a deep dive into the Hebrew world and into the first century world as well as... Uh, it, it's, easy, it's easy to read, though. Don't, you don't have to you know, be a bibliog to do this. You can jump into this and understand it. Uh, you can't have mine, but if you want to see it, there it is for you. And that's the name of it there. It's, it's not a thick book at all. I'm going to read this. With the arrival of the gospel of the kingdom, the reversal of the fallen order has begun which means the redemption of marriages as well. Hard hearts can be regenerated and the divorce certificate obsolete. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.